Welcome to the third episode of On The Record. I'm Jason Tebb, Chief Executive of On The Market, and over the course of this first season of podcasts, I'll be talking to the innovators and leading figures in our sector to discuss their journey in the industry, their views on prop tech, and their opinions on how adopting new technology can benefit every agent. I'm joined today by Ian White, whose estate agency career spans over three decades, including over 20 years at Romans, where he was a key part of their growth strategy, successful years at Countrywide, and now as a well-known and respected estate agency consultant, coach, and mentor, as well as founder of the Innovation Collaboration Group, the ICG. So Ian, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jason. Yeah, and thank you very much for uh, having me on. I want to really ask a question that I always ask when I start to speak to people on these podcasts, and that's something that is probably the most fascinating bit about the industry, and that is people start from various different backgrounds. They either fall into agency or come from another sector into agency. So to ask the first question, give us your story and tell us about your career and maybe what you're up to now. Well, I definitely fell into a state agency. So I left school. My plan was to have a summer of reckless and wild abandon i walked down the hill having done the uh, ceremonial burning of the school tie and uh, blazer and there was a company there called bancroft grows that had vacancies written in the window i for whatever reason chose to go in and my summer of debauchery ended there and then they offered me a job and i started the next day literally so i hadn't thought about being an estate agent it was just the vacancies and i went in that was it fell into it completely no plan Awesome. And was the first couple of days the obligatory how to make the tea, where's the photocopier, let's go on some canvassing runs? Was it that kind of stuff? It was a much more aggressive time. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bancroft Grows brand at the time, but no, I had to go and, uh, I mean, I don't know if I can say this, but I, I had to go and get another estate agent's board and bring it to the, without my car, I had to bring it back to the office. I had the telephone salotaped to my head which HR these days would probably have something to say about, and genuinely got abused as the new boy, really. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, those type of inductions don't tend to take place. But I literally had to walk on foot and go and bring another competitor's board back, walking past all the estate agents because we were all in, in the same space. Sure. And then I had the telephone taped to my ear and I was given a box of cards and told to ring them and see if they wanted to view a particular property that was put in front of me that was in Hollyport, of all places. I remember the property and just got on with it from there. Fantastic. Off you go. Welcome to your agency career. <laughs> Here's a phone stuck to your head. Here's a box. Go make some calls, right? Yeah, that literally, literally. And they did actually sellotape it to my head. I mean, it really hurt taking it off. I mean, pro- proper hurt. I am going to make the assumption you weren't doing that for long and then ultimately moved on and, and upwards into probably, I'm going to guess this, the valuation, assistant manager, manager role. How did your career progress at that business? Exactly as you say, really. I mean, it was obviously showing an aptitude to be able to get on the phone and sort of hustle, I suppose, in terms of primarily my job was to do viewings and get people around the houses. Then they let you tie up your offers. And then before you know it, you're out valuing the odd one. And then before you know it, you're valuing and then you're managing and leading a team. And then before you know it, you're leading multiple teams. Dale Norton, who was the founder of Romans, was at Bancroft Groves. Right. So in 1990, when uh, Bancroft Groves sold, I think it was 1990, maybe 89, Bancroft Groves sold. I left in a half. I didn't want to work for a big corporate. And I, I went to travel the world a little bit like my, my the day I left school, really. My, my, my plans didn't go well because I got to the Italy World Cup, watched England in the World Cup. England got knocked out. I came home in a half rather than carrying on my travels. And Dale, I don't know how I ended up connecting with Dale, but I ended up working at Romans and the rest, as they say, is probably history. 
you know, they were the best days. They were fun, you know, they were fun days. We had a great company and a great culture. Very different to today, if I'm honest. It was very, very fiery, very fast and aggressive, for the want of a better word. But enjoyed every minute of it. I want to talk about the Romans piece because, A, you were there a long time, which nowadays it's quite unusual for people to be in one agency for that period of time. My personal view on Romans as someone who worked in and around the area through the latter days of its evolution, obviously it was a big business by then, but my personal view is when I was, if I was to describe it, it would be as a, as a system business, a business that had a, a system for everything, a system which was prosecuted and delivered systematically in every branch in the same way every time. Is that a fair understanding of the business? Yeah, I mean, certainly the systems and processes were pretty well thought through. But I think the real skill and the real magic source of Romans was the ability to get every single person to follow those systems and processes. I think a lot of businesses set out with systems and processes, but in reality, the tail wags the dog. Romans was like a religious sect. Everybody did what they were supposed to do, and they did it in military precision. Calling us Romans was the perfect name because it was it was a military operation. We were just lucky. We had some good people. We had some really good leaders. And, and everybody not just did it because they were told to do it. They did it because they wanted to do it. It won. You know, we were winning. It was excellent fun. But yes, it was that ability to just drive a system and a process ruthlessly and relentlessly day in, day out, without question, to the disadvantage, in my opinion, of our then competition. Interesting. And what do you think... I don't expect you to share the entire sort of cradle to grave ethos of of the way the business worked. But what do you think were the main things that gave you, as you say, that advantage over others? I think in the early days, we had a lot of business winners. So I think we had a lot of people that could make a difference. They could could turn a valuation into an instruction. They could turn a viewing into a valuation. They could could turn a deal that was about to break into a better deal. And then I think we had a seminal moment. We We had a program called Good to Great that both of our good friend Peter Knight ran for us. And in reality, to a degree, we sort of almost realised that we were now the market leader. So we had to behave very differently to the sort of methodology that we'd had to get to the top. It was very different now that we were at the top. And Peter showed us that. I personally learned a lot from that experience. And anybody that was on the Romans, good to great. It was in La Manga. Anyone that was on it will talk about that event very fondly. It was electric and emotional. And we changed. The business pivoted perhaps from being profit motivated to customer motivated. And I don't think it ever fully pivoted, if I'm honest, but I think it had the intention to. And it really just accelerated from that point onwards, because then you had business winners that were putting the customer first. Yeah. And that was a very powerful combination. I'm not entirely sure that our original concept would have lasted the test of time or that it would work today, if I'm honest. I, I, I think you'd struggle in the days of social media and how quickly a mistake can be put out there and magnified. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that you could. Well, not, actually, I'm entirely sure you couldn't do it the way we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that... The systems and processes piece, absolutely. The the customer service ethic, absolutely. The relentless win attitude, yeah, of course. That's that's still staple to any business, I think, whether you're an estate agent or not, or, or a portal for that matter. But you've got to be focused on the end goal. You've got to be focused on the product, and we certainly were. But that was a seminal moment, the Good to Great program that we ran that I think made us fit for purpose as the world changed. Yeah, yeah. And I think we did it at the right time for the right reasons. And because we had that ruthless ability for everybody to follow process, we actually did hemorrhage some very good high performers that couldn't make that cultural pivot. And it was a very brave move, but it was the move that made the company that was great into something very special, in my opinion. I mean, I'm going to be biased, aren't I? But I think it's probably one of the best estate agents we've ever seen, certainly in performance terms. It's interesting you mentioned the word sort of culturally, as you said just then. I think it's the culture that those things that you've just described 
that it's the culture it breeds that it helps to therefore make the successes even better because people believe in it, they understand in it, they buy into it. And I think it's the cultural aspect. So that the, in, in my experience, I mean, I was at you know, von Nosis, I was at Foxons for seven years. That's all was also described as a process-driven estate agency business, but it bred a culture that meant everyone knew what everyone was doing and everyone was pulling exactly in the same direction. I think it does help to make good performance, great performance as well. Yeah, and I think it gives a very clear picture of what's expected of you. And I think that's missing in a lot of um, modern businesses, particularly in our sector. I think the word accountability is a dirty word. Well, actually, I think the word accountability is about the most entrepreneurial word you can think of, but it's how you do deal with it. So yeah, it was um, interesting times, but it was definitely based on, you know, some very good people that came together at the same time, very systematic people. And I think some very good leaders that were able to get that culture out through others. And I think you can judge a business. Foxtons is the same. Look how many people have left Foxtons to go on and be very successful. Look how many people have left Romans to go on and own their own agency or be successful in their own rights. I'm buying a house for a business now and the guy started his career at Romans. And you just sort of know that those people have got something extra special about them because they've come up in that system-driven environment. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And, res- and res- resilience too, because you can have all the systems in the world, but when you have tough knocks and we all have bad days, we all have fall-throughs, we all have you know chains that break and all that that stuff. But when when that happens, it's the resilience to, to believe in the process, get up and do it the next day that sometimes separates some from others because you've got to have that thick skin in agency. I still use that phrase a lot in, even in my, in my business. You've got to have a thick skin. You've got to know that there are tough days and very good days. You celebrate each and then you get back on, on the horse the next day and go and do it all again. I think it's, it's that that these types of businesses, it does breed that inner resilience, I think. Resilience and thick skin are a differentiator between the best and the rest. You know, there's no doubt about that because it's so easy to get, you know, blame culture going or whatever it is. You know, at the end of the day, we all make mistakes, but, but pick yourself up, get on with it, dust yourself down and do it better the next time. So, yeah, being thick skin and resilient is both, I think, a critical ingredient, but, but possibly one that's on the wane, maybe. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't think it's one that's in abundance right now in the world, let alone a state agency. But um, I don't see it quite in a, as much abundance as I would have done 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I want you to cast your mind back to um, when you were running branches, regions within of, of, of branches and this whole concept around lead management. My background, I've worked for as I said earlier, Foxton's, I spent time with a corporate at LSL. I've run my own agency business throughout all that time. I treated a lead almost in a way, sort of, a, as I used to call it, a 360 degree lead, which is doesn't matter what whether they are a buyer, seller, tenant or landlord, when they've come, how they've come, how motivated they are. If you build conversation, build rapport and build a nurture path, if you like, with them, at some point you will transact with those people. And I was also taught of you properly register and qualify everyone rather than just add them to the database. There's hundreds of opportunities within your existing applicant box, let alone having to go and prospect for new business. But not everyone agrees with that point of view. I speak to hundreds of agents in my town halls and opinion is divided on whether you even need that many applicants. There's only ever one property to sell or to let. So just show the right person to that property and that's off you go. So I suppose my question is, what's your view on that lead management piece? Do you think that there's no need to deal with all of them? There's only one buyer or ten. Do you think that lead management nurture path is the right thing for all new applicants? And do you think it's more important now than it was back then? 
Look, I think COVID has created an unprecedented pressure where you've got the fewest amount of people on the workforce because of either illness or it's hard to recruit. And you've got an unprecedented amount of leads coming in. When, when we put a property on a portal like on the market, you suddenly get a tsunami of leads. So I can't subscribe to the theory that there are leads that are no good. I'm not going to say there are leads that are no good because I think that's unreasonable. But ultimately, recently, I think agents have had to make a decision. Sure. It's almost like who's your favourite son, but you've got to make the decision because if you don't make it, they're both going to drown. So there has been a little bit of that go on, which might be why you're seeing a bit of a divide. And of course, in a market that's slower, people's attitude towards leads will change. But I think technology can help filter and serve the lead to the human later in the process. But the industry has trained and generated a whole generation of hunt and kill estate agents. They're only interested in what can be killed and hunted today for their commission. Yeah. And if you hunt and kill and hunt and kill and hunt and kill, eventually there's nothing left because you haven't nurtured anything. You haven't planted anything. You haven't done anything. So I think you've got to have a mix. You know, I've got to do my business today to pay my mortgage. I've got to water the fields. I've got to plow the fields. I've got to put the seeds in, which is what you mean by nurturing. And I think the skill of doing that as a human, the guys that still get that from a human perspective, human contact, telephone, knock on a door, you know, and I don't mean knock on the door, door knock, I've had a debate with somebody on Facebook about that, but I mean, going to see somebody face-to-face when invited and having a cup of coffee or whatever. I think that still sits above all other methods of communication. However, it's the most time-consuming. So, so you have to pick and choose who and how you do that. And you have to have very good support around you. But in principle, for me, every lead is important. But I do understand in practice, it is no longer right now as we speak, practical to give every single lead exactly the same amount of attention. So let technology do some of the work in terms of understanding which lead to give to the human at this moment in time. And then let the human decide whether he gives it back to technology to nurture it or whether he or she keeps it to to keep in touch with. But most estate agents don't do any of that. They possibly get around to speaking to the lead. And if the person won't jump there and then for a viewing or evaluation, they just rot. It's the end of the conversation. They then pay thousands of pounds to get another one of those and another one and another one. It's like, guys, the money's in your database. The cash is there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Look, we at a portal level are doing some things. We haven't cracked this yet, by the way. There's still a long way to go. But we're doing some things to try and understand almost a pre-qualification of that opportunity. We know that, for example, that 75% of our active buyers are confident they'll buy a property in the next three months. That means we proportion them as being serious property seekers rather than just speculative. So we're starting to move in that direction. There's still a long way for us to go, many, many others too, I'm, I'm sure. But I think from my own experience, an applicant box, well, they're not boxes anymore, are they? They sort of dates me now. But in, in the days when there are applicant boxes, I know that there will be gold in there and you can pick up that applicant box, you go through every single person and you'll probably get something out of it, be it valuations, be it new viewings from people who've said previously they might not view a property, you know, changing people's opinions or being a salesperson, a consultative salesperson is probably one of the biggest joys. It's certainly the biggest buzz I got in agency was building that relationship and, and getting a transaction out of someone who originally said, oh, I didn't want to view it or I don't want evaluation, but then you find and you help them and you take them through that that journey. I find I found that incredibly rewarding, but that only comes from 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 mining and farming those applicants already in your box, right? Yeah, and I, th- I think that long-term skill and that tenacity not to let go is the area where we need to have a good long look at ourselves and say, do we have that stickability anymore? Are we coaching it as leaders into our people? And do we demonstrate it ourselves? I mean, it's no good asking the fresh neg to do it if that's not what the business owner or the business manager or the, or the area of guy 
is prepared to sit on the phones and do himself. You know, you can't tell people what to do in these things. You've got to show them. You've got, you've got to lead them. So, but it is hunt and kill, uh, you know, and I think it's interesting that the portals are doing it. I know you've got an interesting project afoot that hopefully, you know, and I think I think the CRMs can do more. Uh, I think the portals can do more and I think technology will allow them to do it. But it isn't ultimately their job. It's the job of the estate agent to understand which people to spend time with and, to, and, and, and then to do that until such time as you transact. I think the lead time is, I can't remember if it was your stats or Peter Knight's stats, it came from, you know, recognised source. I think it's 17 months from first contact to listing. So hunt and kill doesn't work by definition. If you wait for the person to actually decide, I'm now in my 17th month, I'm about to list, you're competing on fee and price. There's no relationship there. Win the business 17 months earlier, your competition are dead in the water. They've lost before they know there was even a battle. But in order to do that, you've got to go out your way. You've got to show somebody around a house out of hours. You've got to phone them back with some information that might seem pointless at that moment in time. You've got to let somebody who isn't looking to move in the next two or three months attend an open house or whatever. You've got to understand that you're planting the seed at that point. If you have that mentality, that culture, that mindset, that every opportunity needs at least at least giving the initial view that I'm going to check this out. I'm going to see where the deal is here. Is it a mortgage? Is it a conveyancing? Is it a listing? Is it a sale? Is it both? Is it all of the above? Um can I get a survey lead out of them? Whatever it is the agent has within their armory. But um, I fear it's a lost art, Jason. I'm a tech guy. I, I like tech. I think tech is supporting it. But I also think, for example, I think email killed a state agency. I think you could argue to a degree portals have definitely put a bit of a vanilla twist on it because everybody comes through the same sources, yourself and, and you know the, the other portals. But it's going to be interesting to see if the industry can add value because if it can't, we are going to become a low-cost commodity. And I think if we become a low-cost commodity, that's not the industry I want to either be involved with or represent. No, I think you're right. And I think that one of the things that I talk about all the time is the only real differentiator that is absolutely unique, and that is the person. So that is the individual who's picking up the phone. It's the individual who's sitting on someone's sofa. It's the person who is prepared to give that extra half hour to talk about the market, to conduct a viewing on a, on a Sunday afternoon. It's building that individuality, that rapport with a potential customer client of the future because you're willing to, you can show yourself as different, as memorable, you create that lasting impression. And then even if it's to use your quite 17 months later, people remember that. But you can't do that on an email. You can't get your personality across on an email, but you can very quickly do it on the phone or face-to-face. Phone face to face. I mean, I think video technology has given us a little bit of a midway house that we should explore. Yeah. Whilst this is a podcast, you and me are able to see each other. I think that makes a difference to how this conversation goes. And I think it would make the same difference to how a conversation might go. You can see people's nodding. You can see their body language. You can see how they're receiving the information that you're providing. So, yeah, I, I, of course, relationships, technology can't do that. And it will be a sad day when it can. And if it can and when it can, well, that's probably the day that we all ought to pack up. In the meantime, guys, yeah, speak to these people. Even if it's just to say, no, I can't help you right now. Speak to them. Find out a little bit about them. Understand who they are, what their needs and wants are. Agency is such a simple, beautiful job. And it's complicated by, uh, laziness might be the wrong word because I'm sure these guys work hard, but it's complicated by this desire to get the sale out of them that second. And if you can't, just move on to the next one. Or worse, wait for the phone to ring for the next one. And it's not how I operated and that you wouldn't have been able to last. Anyone in Foxes, that's just not how you couldn't have maintained your position. It's not, it's impossible. Exactly right. Exactly right. Fascinating subject. We've talked about how technology could potentially help that 
process and many other processes in the agency sector besides. But tell us about the Innovation Collaboration Group, which you founded, also known as ICG. Why did you set up that business? And just describe to the listeners what it, what it does as an entity. Well, first and foremost, it's not actually a business, to be fair. It's a club. It's, it's a non-profit organisation. We don't look to make any money. We look to put what I would say best-in-class suppliers who by nature are collaborative and innovative, hence the title, together in a networked environment where they can help one another's customers by creating joined-up solutions. And, you know, so you can't often get an out-of-the-box solution that's going to allow you to solve all of your problems. So you might have to mosaic two or three different suppliers together. And if those suppliers are already talking, part of a similar club, understand each other's technology and already have a collaboration in place, your chances of putting two, three different packages together are significantly increased. So we don't charge agency, estate agents to be signed up or to listen to the webinars or to get access to the suppliers. The other thing is we want to be able to say to the estate agent, look, if you're all teched out and you've all demoed out, but you've got a problem, if you go to the ICG approved website, we can't promise we've got the only supplier. In fact, we, we definitely don't have the only suppliers. What we can promise is that we've got the ones that we think are the best at what they do and or are the agent's friend. They are there as a partner rather than a supplier. If you're going to speak to a tech business, we like to have people that can speak in a state agency speak, you know, because tech, I mean, Christ, I mean, some of the tech guys, and I'll say to them, and I'm sure you're the same, Joe, so it's above my pay grade. Just tell me what's the problem you solve. I don't, I don't need to know how you're doing it. I just want to know what problem you're solving and are you really solving it? Yeah. We've got some really good businesses in the ICG and I'm proud to be associated with all of them. There's not one that I wouldn't, you know, be able to look another agent in the eye and say, these are top guys. If you look after them, they've got your best interests at heart. They may not be the right supplier for you, but they've got your interests at heart. They want you to win and they've got a package or a solution that is helping other agents win on a daily basis. So I can't give any better endorsement than that. And I don't get paid for that. We collect funds from the ICG members, but that's all to create events and market and pump out material for the estate agents. I wish it was all mine, but unfortunately not. <laughs> it's quite a lot of members now, so I, maybe, I, maybe I should have made it more lucrative. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to On The Record, the On The Market podcast with me, your host, Jason Teb, and my guest this week, Ian White. We've been chatting about how technology is changing the property industry, as well as the value of managing applicant leads now and in the future. Moving on from this, we're going to chat about the property industry as a whole and Ian's work as a consultant and advisor, helping agents maximise revenue and profitability. So, Ian, you've been critical of On The Market in the past and yet we're speaking today and um, we've known each other a long time actually, but we're speaking today. So what's changed? You. Uh, in all honesty. So I know that sounds a little bit awkward and sycophantic. So look, yes, I was very vociferous about the what I believed were the wrong intentions of the early people. And then I think when people were on different levels and things, I don't think that was dealt with properly and fairly. It was at the expense of particularly some smaller agents who couldn't afford that at the time, signed into long contracts and got stuck with it. Uh, that said, somehow they stuck around and somehow they hung on. And you have come in and I think you've done a lot to listen. I think you've done a lot to win the hearts and minds of me. I'm sure that wasn't your intention. But people like me who may have been sceptical where I'm saying, look, I don't know whether on the market is the answer or not, but I do know the current position needs challenging. I do know that you personally want to be the agent's friend. And I don't mean to have a pint that you want to add value to their journey to make it easier for them to do their thing. 
I know that you're seeking collaborations within on the market and partnership agreements, I think would be the term, and then you've made a couple of acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You're, are we allowed to talk about your new project? I don't know whether it's a public domain. We absolutely can. It will be public domain by the time um, we come to have this chat. So yes. So obviously, I know that you're doing something in the CRM space, which interests me because clearly that's at the heart of a lot of estate agencies. So it's, you know, it'd be the first time that a portal has gone with its own CRM and, and therefore you've got much more control over the leads, which is interesting to me. But I think you're genuinely making an effort is the honest answer. And, you know, anybody that makes an effort for our industry that I'm going to have their back. I mean, why wouldn't I? It's an industry that's looked after me. I enjoy a very high standard of living because of the industry. I've worked hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't get lucky. I earned it. But so I'm, I'm protective of the industry as a whole. And I like the fact that you probably are as well. From what I can see, I believe that's your driver. And I think there is a healthy debate now around and I don't think it's about beating the establishment. I think it's about providing something that does something that has a value. And if you keep adding relationships and value to the agents, I don't know where you are now, by the way, in terms of the mass. You, you might have to nod or shake your head here. But I'm presuming that by being a member of On The Market, I mean, by the time you've done all you know, the bits and pieces, you're not far off cost neutral and you've got all these advantages. I hear people say, well, we don't need a third portal. It's not whether you need it. It's a question of whether there's value in it. Well, thank you. This is a personal crusade for me. I was in agency 20 years. It was good to me. I, like you, worked bloody hard to get where I did. I didn't have any helping hands. And I'm, as an ex-customer of all three of the major portals, I feel so passionately about delivering on the promises that I myself have pledged when I joined, but even the original concept of the business as an agent's portal, one that was there to look after the interests of the agent, to develop products, technology strategies that really help them in their everyday businesses. And I've been at the business 18 months now, and I'm really pleased and proud of the hard work that everyone's done. But I think we are starting to really develop our property technology ecosystem. You know, I genuinely believe that there is absolutely enough value in all of the products and services we provide to to be worth a listing fee alone. So actually we are doing more than being just a portal. And that's how I think increasing numbers of our customers are looking at it. We're just getting started. You know, you look at what we've achieved over the past 12 to 18 months, imagine where we'll be in three years. But yes, the continued movement into more and different emerging products and services is going to be important. And the CRM piece was just as you mentioned it, I'll come back on it. I'm super excited about that because imagine a majority agent owned portal and a majority agent owned CRM, the two are communicating together in real time. And it really is delivering on so many parts of the nurture path strategy and in terms of the whole ecosystem that tend to be fragmented and fall apart, it would bring those two together perfectly. So I'm really excited about that. But you and me both, as you know, You've got to deliver on it, Jason, because talk is cheap. But yeah, I mean, yes, I'm excited about what a combined join-up CRM portal and nurture journey can deliver. It sounds sounds sexy to me. Yeah, indeed. Let's see if it is. I'll I'll get you the demo ASAP. (laughs) Moving on to more recently your consultancy business. Yes. And obviously you act, as I said earlier, on behalf of agency groups and prop techs to go into their business, have a look how you can add additional value on maybe things that are being missed and spot patterns, whether it's in an aspect of listing or follow-up or conveyancing or you know lead referrals to financial services or anything in that ecosystem. So you see a lot of these businesses. Are there a couple of things? Are there two or three things which whenever you go into one of these businesses to work with them, that you spot instantly that they could be doing better, that you can change very quickly? Yeah, leadership. 
I would say the number one thing is just the human leadership, either the willingness to be a leader or the ability to be a leader. Some are very good at it, but abdicate. And some of them aren't very good at it and therefore abdicate by default. So brilliant estate agents, possibly quite good business people. In most cases, to be able to have someone like me, they're probably relatively successful businesses in, in terms of their size and turnover. That's you know, that's not to say that I wouldn't work with smaller businesses because I work with quite, quite a lot of them, but they're generally successful businesses to be able to think and, and have an outsider be prepared to, in effect, tear the house down. But it's the leadership that separates the really... Because it's that leadership that we had at, let's say, Foxton's, at Romans, that basically drives that culture down so that you're just a relentlessly... It doesn't matter what you do. You can have a very different system and process in one business from the other, but the key is to do it. Mm. Don't talk about it. Yeah, being relentlessly productive, I suppose. Relentlessly, and as Pete Wilkinson would say, and I love the statement, unstoppable, because if you know, if you think about it, unstoppable means unstoppable. So if you are unstoppable, then you can have anything and, and everything. Mine is relentless, but he's trumped me. Unstoppable is a better word. But I always mantra, just be relentless. Don't stop when you're on top. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. It's, it's, it's fun. You know, it's fun being relentless. So leadership, Jason, would be the area that I would say a lot of people come up, they're a neg, they're a great lister, and all of a sudden they're thrust in charge of a team. And it's a very different job. There aren't that many people that are brilliant at the selling side, whether that be listing sales or both, who can also get other people to do that at a very high level on a consistent basis and the industry doesn't train people to do it they learn by osmosis so if their manager wasn't a great leader they become slightly less good because everything gets watered down over time so you know one of our most successful and high volume programs is the leadership course it won't come as any surprise that it's the most expensive and it's the most hands-on and you spend i think it's six days in a retreat and not, not on the trot you do two days a month for three or four months but um it's the one people businesses are reluctant to send people on, they eventually do, and then they cannot send us enough. They literally are trying to book spaces. We're, we're sold out till, I don't know where the next intake is, but I think it's sold out for the next one or two. We don't market it. You've never seen it marketed anywhere. Short answer, leadership every time. I find that fascinating because what you just described, in a way, up until a point where I had to do something about it, did describe my agency journey. You know, I was an okay negotiator, got a, a value position, then got a manager position, then was an area manager, then was an area director. I knew a lot about agency, you know, how to win an instruction, how to get conveyancing process, how to get a sale through, what to happen, what, you know, what a fence a certificate is, you know, all that sort of practical stuff for sales and for lettings. I'd never managed a PL. I'd never managed someone coming to me in tears saying, they were under pressure at home or they had some ch challenges at, at work. I didn't have any of that experience. It's that real strong leader mentality that you can find yourselves, just my experience, it sounds like yours is the same. You can find yourselves in pretty senior positions in the industry without having very much of that backdrop, background or training. And yet you're expected potentially to go and deal with that when it arises. Well, yeah, I think it happens by default that the best salesperson becomes the leader, yet they are very different skills, completely different. I mean, a very good salesperson, which I would class myself as in my day, a lister anyway, it's quite a selfish job, whereas leadership has to be by default completely the opposite. You've got to suddenly start growing a pair of these to, in terms of staff. I know selling is about listening as well, but yeah, they are very different skills and people are often, you know, very good estate agents career is often broken when they take that step out of selling into leadership.
my own son is just taking that route at the moment and you know moving from being a really good lister to maybe commanding the respect of others and it's a big step yeah it's a big step and there are very few that naturally have that without input from others yeah and because we're agents as well we're all quite from a, a perspective of persona and ego it's easier to say i'm absolutely fine thanks i don't need any support in this area because that was when i was involved in the nature of the industry you didn't necessarily talk about the things you didn't know you just talk about all the things you did whereas i suppose to be open and say these are the things that i need help on that massively helps you know those individuals who can find products to or, or training packages to help and assist with and Maybe that's what has changed since I was in the industry. Maybe people are more open about discussing where they need help and support in a way that just wasn't the case when I was a neg becoming a manager. We're nearly at the end, but I never let anyone go without asking them about stuff they do out of work. You sound like you're pretty busy. You're consulting to various different businesses. You run the ICG. You're doing all sorts of different things. But in that rare spare time when you just have a few hours or a day off, what are your interests? What are your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing that doesn't involve property? Well, I've definitely got a good work-life balance now. I know, I know it feels and looks like, but I don't work all the hours that God sends that people might think anymore. I used to. So I love football. I've only just come away from football coaching. So for the last 20 odd years, I've had a football team. I've scouted at professional level for a, what was at the time a Premier League club, but not anymore. And I've done coaching for them at a high level. So I'm very highly qualified in the football coaching strokes scouting world. I love fishing, whether that's sea or lake or river. I like fishing, freshwater or saltwater. I love being on the boat. And, you know, like everybody, I'm a family man. I've got four boys for my sins. And I like spending time with them and doing all the things that you would do. So pretty simple stuff, really. There's nothing dramatic in there. Football was a big part of my life for a long time. Probably, if I'm honest, too big a part. Mm. Possibly did affect my career at Romans towards the end, where I became so passionate about football. I would say my focus was on that rather than, you know, I'd made some money and I, I was not untouchable. That's unfair. But I wasn't ever going to get sacked but probably wasn't applying myself as much as I should have been because I was constantly trying to find the next Paul Gascoigne. If, if we had another hour, which we don't, we'd probably talk about the similarities and comparisons between you know, developing coaching, running a football team and developing coaching, running you know, a, a team of agents or, or managers because I think there are some massive similarities around the cultural attitude, you know, people working together, people having systems and processes. There's a whole podcast there, but we probably won't have time to talk about it. But I find that element fascinating. And so many people talk about how sport management and sport training and development can transfer into business, you know, in all businesses, in all sectors. And it sounds like you've utilized one skill to do something good with the other passions that you have as well, which is really interesting. They're identical skills, Jason. I mean, they are. They might be a slightly different audience and a different topic, but allowing a footballer to self-actualise what he needs to do differently to improve is exactly the same skill as getting a salesperson to self-actualise what they need to do to be better at whatever it is within their sales role or leadership role. You know, I, I, I believe in what I call self-actualisation, which is getting the person to understand what they have to do rather than just, you should do it this way because I say so. Um uh, I did believe in that once. Um, and it works, to be fair. If you say it often enough, the, 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 the thick enough, you know, the guys with the thick enough skin will come out the other end. But unfortunately, you do damage people along the way with that approach. Um, you do. You do. I, 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 it's something that I remember, um, you know, three phrases, um, show them how to do it, tell them how to do it, check they've done it, repeat. Um, and it's, it's just those three simple things. You've got to show them, first of all, then, then you can tell them and, and remind them sometimes. And then you've got to check. Um, because unless you're checking, then um, you know you, you'll never know what they have. So I just find I, I always try and remember that whenever we're, we're rolling out something new or we're um, 
we're, we're bringing in some, someone into the business or indeed a new system or process ourselves. Well, the leadership, the checking what's been done is where the leadership often falls down. Most people will be able to show someone and they'll, they'll, they'll but they just assume that they're going to do it. They're going to get it done. People don't do the work you expect. They do the work you inspect. Love that. So I don't know whose quote that is, but it's not mine. I can't take credit for it. But, but anyway, good one. It's a good one. Thank you. And thanks so much for your time. We've come to the end of the podcast. So Ian, thanks so much for joining us and really interesting to hear your views on technology and the industry in general. We're going to add the links to your website in our social channels and in our show notes if any of our listeners would like to find out more. And don't forget, you can keep up to date with our next episodes by following us at OnTheMarket.com on Twitter. You can follow us on all other social channels too, LinkedIn and Instagram, or search for On The Record in your podcast app and hit the follow button. But just remains for me to say, Ian, thank you. It's been really good to chat to you and thanks for your time. Likewise, thank you. Thank you for having me on.